Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast. We got Megan and Rudo today coming to you live on a day. I mean, I guess most of this stuff happened over the weekend or on Monday, but a lot of front office action going on in the NHL. All that's cool and all. More importantly, <laughs> the Denver Nuggets are the champions of the NBA, which we're not a basketball pod, but that's still pretty cool. The Avs are in the top of the league. <laughs> fireworks in your neighborhood as there were in mine yes and i was so excited but i didn't even think about the implications for dogs and yeah, other animals not, i was wondering how rex fan. was doing he's not a fan he survived though he's got his plate he runs up into the shower and sleeps in the shower and is okay. oh. <laughs> that's an interesting thing that dogs do as an instinct like in thunderstorms and things like that to seek shelter like in a bathtub it actually is a very safe place for them to be and i Appreciate that about their instinct. You would think, but my dog's really dumb. <laughs> I'm he, giving him too much credit. Well, you would think, like, <laughs> he runs up and like tries to find a safe place, but you would think, oh, well, he'll go to the, the middle of the house where it's like the furthest away from the outside. No, he runs to an outer wall, like the loudest part of the house it could possibly be, and like tries to hide there. So oh. His instincts might need a little bit of work, unfortunately. Um. Anyway, uh, we can get into, let, let's start with the topic of the show. We'll get to the news around the NHL in a little bit. Obviously, it's a pretty important free agency upcoming and draft for the Avs. I wanted to get into a bigger picture of what makes NHL teams enticing for free agents. Uh, we can start with the fun one. First, Avs playing the same building as a champion. Does that help? With free agency, do things like that. Obviously, their own win a, a year ago, I'm sure, helps. But when you talk about a city that, is particularly like Denver, who has grown pretty rapidly over the past few years, does that make free agents want to come here? You know, prior to the recent success of teams, the Cardo Avalanche being an important part of that, I used to think that the quality of life in Colorado would be enticing by itself, but even as recently as seeing Claude Giroux choose Florida over Colorado was interesting to me. And there's a lot of reasons that go into that, but I think in the past I've overvalued what it would be about Colorado that would entice free agents. But now I think there's legitimacy to the success now of these teams altogether enticing free agents for a couple of reasons. And part of it is I think there is a little bit of trust in the ownership. This is a controversial take, but I don't think it's that controversial in seeing Colorado. the success of teams under Kroenke, no. I think that there is some trust that has been built and earned that this is ownership that is going to do what is needed to create winning teams. And that's not true of every organization. And especially at the National Hockey League level, I wonder if that is going to be the part that entices free agents that they know they're going into an organization that's in good hands. Because I think there is a healthy balance, too, in what the Cronkies have their hands in, but specifically what the Avs front office has their hands in, and the little bit of leeway that they're given to make decisions in the best interest of the team that I think has allowed both the Nuggets and the Avs yeah. to have some level of success. And so I think alongside the things in the past that I thought would be enticing to free agents, just living in Colorado, players with families, there are some good schools, especially because they have the means to live in good neighborhoods, send their kids to nice schools. It's a nice place to be for those reasons. Then alongside the success, I think there's 
proof too in the college free agency is maybe a smaller example of how I think this is already true. And Ben Myers before the college free agents of this last season, then getting some of the most highly coveted players to agree to come to Colorado, especially in knowing their path to the NHL might be more difficult because the Colorado Avalanche are in their competitive window right now, I think says a lot about even getting to play in Loveland isn't seen as this negative opportunity if it could translate to NHL success one day. I think that there's a lot of takeaways, like even in an Alex Galchenyuk, wherein I don't know what his situation was prior to camp, but he comes to Colorado on a PTO. Now, I don't know how much other teams were interested in him at the time, but that is with full knowing that he could end up in Loveland. And that is, you know, obviously how it panned out in the end. But I think there's a lot to be said then for players absolutely seeing the value in coming to Colorado over other places. I love that answer. A lot of things I want to touch on there, actually. We can start with the Loveland stuff. You've made that trip a ton. I've made that trip a ton. You're an hour away from Denver. It's really not that far. Brad Hunt is an interesting example of straddling both these things, and it's very convenient. Yep. And, And compare that to four or five years ago where the Avs... AHL team was in San Antonio. Right. Completely different. You're nowhere near your NHL team, really. Before that, even further, they were in Erie, which is forever away. So there is a little bit more of a direct connection there. And I do think that helps with those AHL to NHL caliber players or prospects as well that are trying to make that jump. I, I do think that's a, a big enticer of, of players that are looking at that. When you're talking about the actual NHL level, I love that you brought up Kroenke. Look, I get it. If you're from St. Louis, you hate him. I understand that. I'm not even going to try and argue that one with you. I know personal has problems too, but I don't follow the English Premier League, so I don't care about them. I'm sorry. Uh, but Kroenke has built successful teams. It's, that is just a factual statement. When it comes to the avalanche of the Nuggets, he's never been afraid to spend money. He will give them all of the resources that they need to be successful, especially when you look at a team like the Avs and Nuggets in their current window where he's willing to go all the way in if that's what's necessary. So both of those things, I think, do matter a ton for enticing free agents to come here. And the other thing I wanted to touch on there was I I don't know that this necessarily entices players to come here, but we see a lot of players once they come here really like it here and end up staying. It's a great point. We, we Obviously, we've talked to a bunch of the Avs Alumni Association. A guy like Haydu makes sense. He spends his whole career here. Right. A guy like Sackick before he became GM, you know, is a legend here. Those things I get. But you also see guys like John Mitchell who comes around. This is a guy who played in Toronto for a handful of years, decided to stay in Colorado, decided to, you know, get jobs with people like Altitude and, and continue to work here instead of maybe in some other hockey market. Uh, and you go through a bunch of those other guys, obviously, Eric Lacroix, Lacroix we love him here. Uh, and it, you could go down the list of, of all the guys. Quincy is another Quincy, interesting yes. example because he played for several teams. Yep. His exit in Colorado was maybe like he bit. might not have yeah. loved it here <laughs> or loved the organization at this point in time, but came back in the end. Yep. So I, I do think that does show for something in how much players do like it once they get here and, and experience Denver and Colorado. Uh, how much does that translate into getting people here in the first place? I don't really know. 
but I think Jan Heda does because well at least he was involved in Johnson's cup party mm-hmm. and I, I don't know for sure if he lives in Colorado but I think possibly I mean with those guys they have multiple houses across the country you know what probably. true <laughs> one of the many places they live perhaps uh, but but it is interesting to see and I don't think Colorado has become like a, a premier market they're not like a New York that really entice everyone to come but I do think it has become easier to get players uh, into teams in Colorado than it was uh, 10 years ago, something like that. I, I'm assuming my mic is working. Um, it's probably just echoey because that's it happens in this set sometimes. We'll try and sort it out, chat, but it is what it is. Voice yeah, I'm, like I'm so loud, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, moving on. I wanted to get into some other topics here. It comes up a lot when we talk about free agency. Is something like no state tax an unfair advantage to you in free agency? We Every time anybody goes to Florida, you were mentioning Giroux earlier. Right. That's what people bring up. Do you think that's a problem or do you think it's not a big deal? I, I don't think it's enough of a big deal for it to warrant some kind of action or intervention. It's just every... T- team in a different state is going to have pros and cons of being there and there's not a lot that you can change about that and I think Colorado just I alluded to the quality of life that is here I think that is a pro that can't be said for all states like there are some beautiful open spaces in Colorado that you can get to outside of the Denver metro area that I think this makes it a nice place to live especially for players with young families okay so Place to live more important than uh, outside factors like taxes and et cetera. Well, and those things matter, especially to players with families that are looking at their point. livelihood down the line yeah. and just the longevity of their career and maximizing that window with their families in mind. And so this is, uh, it's, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword. I think it definitely does matter in the Drew example as recently as that being a strong indicator of that but i don't know if those were the exact reasons too so and the secret here is no one's ever going to know any players exact reasons for doing whatever they do right which makes you know this is all speculation to a certain extent you have to understand different players will do things for different things some players want to win a championship some players want to get paid some players just want to live in a certain area johnny gaudreau a perfect example right of and ended up not going to the city that he wanted to, but got as close as he could. So regardless of what enticing factors any city has, it ultimately in free agency comes down to whatever the player wants. And you're going to get different players who want different things. Let me ask you this. Have the Avs done a good enough job in being able to sell free agents on coming to Colorado. I think they've certainly done enough good job with the college guys. I'm more looking at free agents over the past handful of years. Guys like Cogliano, guys like Helm. Do you think they've done a good enough job there? Or do you think they maybe have left something on the table? It's hard to say because in the past there have been, especially surrounding frequency, I thought that, again, I overvalued in the past and I thought it would be a much easier sell. And I don't know that it's, 
that the Avs didn't make a convincing enough case. Especially like, let's look at just a recent window in the last sure. five years. Yeah. The Avs have been building towards what they're at right now for a little while. Yeah. And I think they've had this kind of clear idea of what it is they're in search of and what they're willing to to offer to get there. And I think if it came down to, especially with free agents specifically, a number that didn't make sense, I think they understood where they were going with this team enough to, as a team, take a pass on that too, instead of offering more than what they felt the player was valued at. And I, I say that cautiously, but it, it just does seem like they knew what type of culture they were trying to build and weren't going to offer too much to get there. And so... Players like Helm are a great example of, I bet there are lots of players around that time who build similarly to Helm, but yeah. they just needed one. Sure. And he ended up being such a great fit. Um, Cogliano, you know, in bringing him back on, they knew what they had in Cogliano. And he's another person who, player, young family, yeah. I think that is what made it an easy sell. But what will be a true test is now that the Avs have achieved some success, because I wonder if that was what was barring players from coming here in the past. Now that they've achieved some success and it's clear that their competitive window is right now, everyone is fully aware of the core that is in Colorado right now. And they've seen how competitive this team is, even in a season riddled with injuries, they can still win a division title. This is going to be the summer where I think we can really answer that question if Colorado's doing enough to convince free agents because there's no more convincing time than now. It's yep. a team that basically sells themselves. Yep. I think I, I could better answer that depending on what they do this summer. It's a fair point. Sometimes building to a championship has a different caliber of what you're looking for as opposed to trying to win another one being in the middle of truly in that window. Um, I see chat talking about it a lot. How much do things like facilities matter? You have, they did remodel the, uh, the locker room last year. And I think everyone was very happy about that. There's uh, for diehard avalanche fans. Everyone has talked about family sports center and it's less than stellar level of quality as a NHL practice facility. There's been many, many, many different conversations about potentially building practice rinks either out east or tear down Elitches and build it there or build right. it in the ball arena parking lot or whatever. Is that something the Avs should prioritize is getting that practice facility done or is that a, hey, we're in the middle of our cup window. Let's deal with that later. It's, it seems like I don't see the reason not to prioritize it right now. Like, I don't, to be, I don't know how soon it would be done for them to even take advantage of it, but players that I think are hopefully going to be kind of franchise career yeah, players <laughs> aren't thrilled by the practice facility. So I'd want to keep those types of players happy. For sure. So that's why I see the incentive to prioritize us right now. And then the alternative is why not prioritize it right now? Is it because the construction would pose some sort of distraction. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I could see them, especially if there's hope on the horizon, like, okay, we have to continue practicing at family sports, but there's something, there's something at the end of the tunnel yeah. to really look forward to. And that would only help the, the case of enticing players to come here because it, I think it is a little bit of a blight. Well, we've seen, you know, it's been a, a few years of, of the rookie tournament stuff now and how 
nice some of these practice facilities are for places like Anaheim and Arizona that have multiple sheets of fantastic ice, a bunch of awesome setups that don't involve not the best rinks in in America. We'll put it that way in the family sports center. Uh, and, and just not a, not a fantastic setup in general uh, for an NHL practice facility to have a divided locker room like that. And it's just not a great setup. I, I don't want to dunk on them. I've had tons of great memories from family sports center for the I record. like how accessible but, it is. Yeah. I like that the practices there are open to the public. I think that's wonderful for the fan base and I wouldn't want that quality to change, but I do look at how it's been of detriment to Arizona. It has created some problems, even just playing in mullet and the conversations surrounding mullet before this was the agreed upon place for them. Um, there was concern over things like players parking lot spaces. And this is the kind of stuff that maybe we don't think about as intently, but it does matter to players and something like a practice facility, then I it's like even in Arizona too, like where they would practice and just its proximity to the rink that they actually play in. These kinds of things matter. And for that reason, you have a team in their most competitive time in this window right now. I'd want to do right by them as best as possible. Hey, you bring up a great conversation that I want to talk about with Ottawa in just a second. Uh, first, we are brought to you all by Shady Rays. You can get your Shady Rays at ShadyRays.com. Fantastic sunglasses, dozens of different kinds of styles and setups. I, I, We're hopefully getting another pair each from them. Yes. So we can like have different pairs of sunglasses. for. We'll have the that winning really pair nice. and the losing pair for the Amazon. The maybe. winning pair. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. The one to hide the face after yeah. they've lost and the one that's cool after they win. Hide the tears and looking good. Perfect. We're set up with Shady Rays. You can get yours with code DNVR. You get 50% off if you order two or more pairs. It's basically buy a pair, get one free from Shady Rays. And you break them, you lose them, or you just don't like them in the first 30 days, send them back or let them know you lost them, and they will replace them completely for free. So it's a great time to give them a try, if nothing else. You can go to ShadyRays.com, or if you're local, they have a brick and mortar in the park, Meadows Mall. Make sure you use that DNVR code and get yourself looking good in your sunglasses. Even if it's at night, I'll allow you to be the Blues Brothers. It's fine. Uh, also brought to you by Illegal Pete's. You can go sit out on their patio with your new Shady Rays and get yourself a delicious burrito. They have the longest happy hour in town from 3 to 8 p.m. Uh, it's a great place to go celebrate the Denver Nuggets W. Uh, they're NBA champs, so... Get a burrito. Go enjoy yourself. It's worth it. Ah, perfect. I mean, look, hair of the dog, a little margarita to, to get yourself back up and going. You're good to go with Illegal Pete's. Perfect. Uh, go check them out. Their ingredients are all fresh, amazing. When you get a burrito, their queso, maybe the best around. So there's 11 different locations here in Colorado, including one just a couple blocks from the DNVR bar. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Go get your illegal Pete's today and enjoy their happy hour. Uh, JB does ask, I don't watch a lot of hockey games. What do the Avs need to do in the off season? So they got bounced by the Kraken in the wild card round. The short version is two C. They need a second line center. That is their biggest goal this off season or should be their biggest goal this off season. Solving that doesn't inherently mean going into free agency. They could say, Hey, we want Miko Rantanen to be our two C. I don't think that's out of the question but they need to find a solution for that position. Getting back 
to the topic of the day and really the news of the day. Ottawa Senators set up to be sold for $950 million. It's not official yet. They have to go through all the Board of Governor channels and all of that. So it's going to be a little while for them on that topic. Megan, you brought it up with Arizona and their arena location. Ottawa kind of has the same problem. Big arena, way outside of town. Everyone's got to travel 45 minutes there. Ottawa has had a lot of problems selling out that building. If you're new ownership, if you're coming in to an organization like that, is that more important than the on-ice product even? It is to an extent. Like it, It's a difficult ask, though, too, to... I don't know, are we talking about moving the arena closer to the in city? Theory, yeah. the, it's a difficult ask, though. I don't know a lot about Ottawa. I have to imagine there's a lot more ice in Ottawa to perhaps assume, pick from. Yeah. Like, if this were a problem in Colorado, I could see this being a little trickier to resolve. Yeah. But, yes, because I think accessibility matters. I think it's why we look at growing the game and we look at things like market size, and then within that you have to have a team that's accessible to its fan base and you want to maximize then the accessibility. And that absolutely creates a problem. Like you, I think hockey is a fan base that has a passionate base. So I think it's not hard to convince fans to travel a little bit, to go see their favorite teams. But when it comes to growing the game to people maybe less familiar or outside around the fringes of the fan base, that's where I think it really matters is because that can be the kind of thing that hinders that, that, part of the base from getting to games and it's the part of the base that needs to grow the most because the diehards will travel they'll travel no matter what you can do anything and they'll still show up exactly and i think that that is probably especially with canadian markets true of most of those teams yeah so i think ottawa specifically has a little bit of advantage there that they are in a canadian market that probably is very passionate but in terms of getting more people out to games absolutely do think it matters uh, let's face it, the bar is pretty low in Ottawa for ownership. Uh, Eugene Melnick is not a tough guy to replace when it comes to, you know, if you're willing to spend any amount of money on the team, you'll probably be more well-liked than him. So I think it's probably a good thing for Ottawa. You know, what are the long-term implications? They feel like a team that should be on the way up anyway. We'll have to wait and see. But hopefully, you know, that's a franchise that can stabilize and, and be exciting for the next handful of years. Yeah, because they do have a base that's hungry for it. Yep. They want to be good. Obviously, you know, Canadian markets, like it or not, carry the NHL as far as revenues and things like that. So it is very important for the league Absolutely. for teams like that. Uh, yeah, Ryan Reynolds would have been fun, but, you know, we can't get everything we want, unfortunately. Still... Uh, ownership is good and teams not being under the league's control, generally good for the health of the league. So that's fun. The more interesting news, perhaps two head coaches that we haven't really talked about, uh, in the NHL, one Ryan Huska in Calgary, which, you know, promoted from their internal system. I think that's more fun at least than what New York is doing with Peter Laviolette. It sounds like today the the deal sounds like it was five million for three years. Interesting. So, a little bit of a commitment from New York to Laviolette there. Um, I I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. I don't think Laviolette is like the coach to bring them to the championship or anything. 
and I am very much on team stop retreading coaches. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And I feel like if we have time, we can talk about Huska and Calgary a little bit more too, yeah, sure. surrounding the conversation with Mitch Love and what his future holds. But mm-hmm. we could talk about Laviolette for a second because it reminded me of when George Gwazdecki was up for an extension at DU and they were having discussions. And I could tell just as a student who wasn't plugged into things at this time that these discussions were kind of at a a standstill and they weren't going the direction of bringing Mm -hmm. Gwazdecki back on. And when it was announced that they weren't going to reach an agreement and they were going to enter a search for a new coach, it felt abrupt like they weren't prepared to search for a new coach. Like they didn't have this short list of coaches in mind. It ended up really working out for them (laughs) in Monty. (laughs) But they took a risk on Monty. It wasn't a retread. And in in college hockey, this is a different conversation. But more jobs in college. (laughs) 100%. And so it... It definitely is a different comparison. But what I remember feeling at the time is a little bit of panic is I just didn't get the impression that DU was prepared to search for a new coach. And so I kind of felt similarly with New York in how things happened with Gallant. It just felt a little bit abrupt and it made me feel like, well, have you been putting feelers out? Did you have a short list in mind? And as the coaching searches kind of whittled down, it still feels that way to me. Like they didn't have this guy in mind. This is the guy we want. It was just a guy with a bunch of NHL games under his belt at the end of the day. At the end of the day. And that's where it's like, that's what doesn't excite me about the Laviolette hire is, well, is this really so different from Gallant? I think they're very different coaches. I think that Laviolette is much better at developing relationships with his players. So I I think that's going to be a strength. But in terms of results, it just doesn't feel like a huge change or shakeup. And there's some concerns too, like Laviolette's going to be inheriting a very different team compared to what Gallant was coaching in this year because they have some decisions to make with players who were inevitably rentals and then some RFAs that they need to make decisions around that are going to take up then some of the projected cap space that they just won't now have going into next year if they do decide to hang on to some of these younger players that they're hoping to be something. And all that to say, it does feel like a retread. Like Laviolette is a coach too who has some success under his belt, but then it's been met with some disappointment that creates uncertainty around what he is capable of doing with this group. Um, Like I have no doubt in my mind that with the likely roster for next year, he can bring them to the postseason. That's not really the doubt yeah, in my mind. It's, it's just getting can, them across the finish line. And even get them to a conference final. Is what. That's honestly in Laviolette's track record. Like he has three finals appearance appearances, one of which results in a Stanley Cup. So like that's early in his coaching career too. In the more recent years, he's also coached teams that have been riddled with a lot of injuries, which as an Avalanche fan, I have to be respectful mm-hmm. of. Completely know that firsthand. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> Completely have to be respectful of that. Um, but it's still there's just this little bit of doubt in my mind of getting them across the finish line, and so that's where it just doesn't feel like that exciting or new of a decision, which makes me wonder then how will this bring the New York Rangers in a new direction? Yeah, it's with Laviolette especially. You know, we we watched him for a long time in Nashville. He's been out east before with teams like Philadelphia. I just, I wonder how many times you can keep running it back with a coach before 
he's just figured out as much as anything else by the league. He's just, everyone knows him at a certain point. Everyone knows his systems and knows what to do to counter them. Uh, Anthony says only half the league are retreads according to Jay Fresh. You say that's not a big problem, but to me, half the league being guys that continually just stick around in the league feels like way too many to me. Well, and it's a problem to the teams like who have that retread coach and don't advance, don't improve. Right. Like, I don't know. It's on the whole, maybe it's not an overwhelming problem, but it doesn't make the New York it's, Rangers it, necessarily better. It's the Pete DeBoer problem, right? You get a new coach. He all, every team he's gone to, he gets the first year coaching bump where he makes a decent playoff run. And then he's not any good. Why does that guy keep getting jobs? I it's, it's interesting too because like Gallant is kind of an example of this, which is why I'm right. wondering how this is so different in that sense. Though I think Gallant's good at year one and year two. It's the year three that he that doesn't get apart. to, and, and yeah. year two is where things start to kind of fall apart. I think Laviolette's actually pretty good in year two, um, but things then after that are not good, and so it's like there's this peak, and. I don't know if that's going to happen again. It just feels like there is a pattern a little bit here with Laviolette specifically that with a three-year contract with the Rangers, I could see years one and two being pretty good and three not aging so well. All right. So we have Huska. We have Mike Dab Dad Bab Clock. Uh, that's just a different language. I don't <laughs> know what that is. This is a famous clip from uh, Coach's Corner. Where he just butchers Mike Babcock's. Oh Babcock's my gosh! Uh, and then we have Laviolette now. Of those three, which coach do you like the best as a signing? Greg Cronin. I'm okay, just. I'm I, just. I'm just kidding. I mean, fair. He's. I didn't throw him on that list, but he's another hired coach. Well, actually, too, like in looking at the hires, that's maybe the biggest swing that was taken. I, I definitely agree with and that. And I find. I, I find it so interesting, too, because my concern with Cronin getting this job was there is a, there are a lot of names out there that could have been taken yep. on by Anaheim. They really want a whole different direction. But so Huska, Laviolette, what was Babcock? And Bab, the three most recent ones, basically. Honestly, and what was the question who I feel? Which coach do you think is the best? I'll, I'll leave it open. Best in general or best fit for the team they're on, whatever, however you want to take it. I think Huska is the best fit for Calgary, but okay. you know, like the track record of Babcock isn't a bad one necessarily. There's just some context and I don't know there. Yeah. Like the context, there's some really big pros and really big cons um, that make it interesting. So I don't want to suggest Huska is the best coach because there's a lot of unprovenness with yeah. Huska, but his time at the American league level was requires context. He is another example of a guy who inherited a team, especially what the American League team was at that time, that he was able to produce NHL players like one that's yeah. in a cup final right now, yeah. Manjipani. Like there are I know that we look at Love and we're like, man, that was a slam dunk. But Huska has a track record that he's been building towards of success that it doesn't quite jump off the page as two-time coach of the year the same way that Mitch Love does. But yeah. then as an assistant with Calgary, he's familiar. Um, I don't exactly then know what kind of a coach he is, but that's where it feels like an obvious fit is there's familiarity with what Calgary has been doing as an assistant. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes, but I have a little bit more trust in Huska. 
just in seeing what he did at the American League level before this. Do you want to dive a little bit more into that and compare it with someone like Cronin's role in Anaheim? But first, we are brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. You can get yours on tap here at the bar, eight different kinds on tap. Or you can get it at your local liquor store, find it near you at the Breck Beer Locator online. You can find uh, find the Nuggets beer because, you know, it's a drink of champions now, officially. I can say that, legally speaking. It's a drink of champions when you're drinking the Nuggets beer. So go check it out. Check out Breck Brew at breckbrew.com today. And then it was pretty crazy downtown last night from what I heard. <laughs> so, you know, if if something crazy happened and it was not your fault, maybe you need to call Bacchus and Shanker. All right. Need a lawyer. There was a car accident or you're in a ride share situation. Maybe you're trying to cross the street and there's a riot going on and, and someone got hurt. A firework goes off. Someone shoots it into the crowd or something. That's where Bacchus and Shanker can come in. If you're injured and you're not at fault, give them a call today at 222-2222 or go to coloradolaw.net to set up a free consultation. They'll hear your case for free. If they think you have a case, they'll take it on for free. You pay absolutely nothing until you win your case. It's like you don't even pay at all because the money just goes into your pocket and they take their cut. So it's money you wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, they've won over a billion dollars for their clients over the 25 years they've been doing this in Colorado. They are very, very good at what they do. Um, so go check them out if you have a case, if you've been injured, even if it's something like a, an injury at work that you haven't been compensated for, Bacchus and Shanker can help you with that. Again, press two for a while or check them out at coloradolaw.net. Uh, third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. When it comes to, I think, uh, particularly Huska and Cronin are, are somewhat similar in how they're getting to these jobs. Huska with the same organization that he had been an AHL coach for a very, very long time for. So maybe a little bit more in line organizationally. But you're talking about guys that have come up through the AHL, have gotten these jobs. The difference to me is you look at Cronin, he's replacing Dallas Eakins on an Anaheim team that was terrible last year. They're not expected to be particularly good in the immediate. And then you look at Huska and Calgary, replacing Daryl Sutter, probably not going to be that hard to do in that room as far as relationships with the players. But Calgary is a team that's expected to bounce back next year and yeah. at very least make the playoffs. How does a coach coming in make that work? Is he going to be able to fully implement his systems and turn this team into a playoff team? Or does this have to be a little bit of a fly by the, by the seat of his pants year? What for Huska specifically? For Cronin too, but obviously expectations are lower. Because there are, I think, differences in the teams that they're coming on board to. Mm -hmm. And the difference with Huska and Calgary is, I think some of where Sutter's leadership didn't work is there's an identity among these players individually and as a team of who they are, how they want to play. And I think that there were, they were at odds sometimes with what was being asked yeah. of them yeah. and who they are and what they think they should be. And as a result, I have some questions then surrounding what Huska will be able to do if he does feel like there is a need for a lot of change. If he does want to implement a change in in systems culture. Yep. I think that poses a little bit of a challenge to this group specifically, but the talent is there. That's the interesting thing. There's a lot of talent Certainly still at the top. Yeah. in the top for Calgary and there's some talent on the way. That's what's interesting about the Mitch Love conversation is Peltier and Dustin Wolf likely taking the next step in and entering the NHL um, 
is going to be good for the Calgary team, but for the Wranglers specifically, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, like Mitch Love has had the benefit happens, of coaching yeah. a team that has that caliber player. Uh, so it's kind of to the benefit of the Calgary Flames. Um, but that's where I'm, I'm interested to see then what Huska does with this team. If he is the kind of coach that wants to have a more hands-on role with his players, depending on his approach with the players, it could pose a little bit of a problem. That's interesting with Cronin too, though, because he is that kind of coach because he could be at the American League level. It was yep. necessary of him to be a hands-on coach. And he's going to be coaching really different players, mm -hmm. players mm -hmm. with high pedigree, mm -hmm. star power behind them, mm -hmm. and a strong sense of who they think they are. Mm -hmm. And that's different where Cronin inherited players at the American League level who are something like a, a marble slab for him to mold. <laughs> and that isn't exactly true at the National League level. So I'm curious what Cronin will be able to do because he has had to adapt a lot of how he connects with his players around this even at the American League level. So I don't think he is going to try to forcefully change anybody. Uh, but I do think he'll have a more hands-on role than Eakins did. In a way that I think will help. I, I think that he'll strike a balance of being so present and involved that it holds players accountable without being too meddlesome and getting on people's nerves. So is John Luke Foodie Greg Cronin's statue of David? <laughs> he he's he's like honestly, I draw a lot of comparisons to Foodie and Zegris. And I feel like I need to clarify that a little bit because they are entirely different players. When I talk about pedigree, that's a big part of it. Yeah. But what's interesting about Foodie is he came from juniors with this identity as a skilled puck carrier. And that yeah. was kind of it. There, and there was this question mark, okay, but like, what else? <laughs> what else are you? <laughs> and that's where it started to come together. And he became a more dimensional player under Cronin. And it, it took a little bit of time. Like it took him watching a game from a press box to get there. And then it took him adopting more of a, I don't even want to say depth role because it's not even necessarily what he's being primed for, at least at the total bottom of the lineup, but he had to take on some more third, fourth line habits. And what's interesting then is like with a Zegras type of player, he's obviously not being built to be a third, fourth line type of player, but perhaps needs some of the same hands-on care that Foodie received. And he did it in a way that didn't shut Foodie down. Foodie is an interesting player. He had a strong sense of identity and a lot of confidence about him. And so Cronin had to be careful in his approach or he would put off Foodie and he would not be receptive to anything that he was trying to teach him. And that's where I draw the comparison to Zegras is I think that Cronin is going to have to be careful in his approach, but he he's still the coach too. Like they're like, we talk about this even with a Bednar and a McKinnon, like there has to be kind of this understanding between player and coach of what these roles each have. There has to be respect too. Like he can't be too easy and agreeable. He has to be a little bit firm in what he's asking of all his players while still being respectful of their strengths. It's, it's interesting because one of the biggest things I always, always, always hear about, hockey players that go from juniors to pros or turn pro from whatever league they're coming from at the pro level, you don't get to take shifts off. You cannot take shifts off. And I, I think we saw Cronin teach foodie that quite a bit over the, the last couple of years down in the AHL. The problem there is 
when you get high-end players like a, a Trevor Zegras, especially when they're young in the NHL, they still take shifts off. They they're good enough to get away with it, but it's it will immediately grind a coach's gears if they do things like that. And and it's normal. Most players this does happen to occasionally. Not everyone can be Nathan McKinnon, who is uh, has an insatiable will to perfect every single play he's ever done in his life. But usually you have to find a coach that can take those players from the guy who takes shifts off and gets away with it into the guy who, you know, he's not going to be unbelievably single-minded every single day, but is a guy who shows up for every shift. And if you do that the right way, the player will grow a lot. He'll learn to love that coach and the team will really appreciate what happens. You do that the wrong way. Everyone clashes heads. Everyone hates it. And it's a disaster. Everyone hates it. And it's a disaster. (laughs) So I, you know, if I knew the solution there, I'd be an NHL head coach. I'm not going to tell Cronin how to do his job. I think he knows far better than me, but it's the, I think one of the biggest challenges head coaches face when it comes to dealing with younger stars in the NHL is, is getting what they want out of them instead of the star kind of just doing what he's been doing his whole career. I think Cronin has a lot harder job there than Huska does. I do too, because I think there's more personalities in the room to navigate and he'll be coming in newly to this group. And I don't know Huska's personality, but I know Cronin's and he has this reputation too, for being the tough love coach with an emphasis on the love that I think is often misunderstood because the thing about Cronin is I think his players, they know the expectation that's being asked of them and they know that it is pretty high and they know that Cronin's going to be tough on them. But I also think that in recent years, especially a respect has been built wherein these players don't want to let him down. And that is what brings success that is why they're willing to buy in is because there is a respect for him and they see the care that he has for his players he's not just asking things of them and being tough on them because it's coming from a place of competitiveness though that's definitely true it's coming from a place of care the person like the care he has for the players beyond the organization is i think what stands out in cronin and will help him to better connect but also it's not going to be just led by Cronin. He talks a lot about tribe and community Mm -hmm. and he leans on the entirety of his players to help coach. And I think this is where he's going to lean on leadership and veterans in Anaheim to help with what he's trying to do, what he's trying to build. So it's not going to be messaging that's just coming from Cronin. And that's what I think is going to help lessen some of the clash too, is having it come from a few different players um, is going to, this is too, like he's described some examples where there have been players who were not meeting expectations and they sort of had to answer to the entire group. And that was really impactful for someone like Oscar Olausen, actually. Um, kind of without going about this in a super malicious way, he kind of had to answer to the group. And this is where he started to take some mo- more ownership of what he was doing. And there was observed improvement. And so that's the other thing to understand about Cronin is it's not going to be just coming from him. This sure. is going to be the entire team holding everyone accountable yep. and also having then everyone's support. Yep. And, and you know, I, no surprise seeing that 
coming from the Avs organization. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> At the NHL level, certainly the Avs are a, a lead by group less than a led by your head coach, Jared Bednar. Sure. Jared Bednar is the coach. He's a leader in that regard, but we've talked at length about how much leadership there is in that locker room. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here today, I mentioned it in our, uh, our round table, which if you haven't read, go check it out. John Gibson, is he going to be in Anaheim for that much longer? I don't know. You look at Huska and Calgary. Jacob Markstrom was not good last year. You already mentioned Dustin Wolf on the way. Talk about the Jack Adams is kind of a goaltending award sometimes. Could goaltending have these coaches' jobs hanging in the balance? That's really interesting. Um, his name is slipping from me, but he scored. He's the, the goalie in the goals organization. Yeah, um, he I, scored the goalie goal here in Colorado, and he actually played up with Anaheim um, a couple games. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll look it up. And he's either. good yeah. is where I'm going with this. Like he actually had some really strong performances behind a struggling Anaheim team wherein he was keeping them. He was facing uh, a Dostal. lot of shots. Yeah. Lucas Dostal. Thank you. Uh, That's really interesting. And I hadn't thought about it, but if Gibson is on his way out and they're looking at bringing Dostal into the fold, which I'm, I'm not going to lie, that might be a bit of a leap. Um, but they were certainly giving him some looks that could point to that being a possibility and how much they gave him a chance last year. Um, and I really liked Ostal. He is an excellent goaltender, honestly, in the same realm as Dustin Wolf in my eyes. Um, well, and, and Anaheim has a little bit more room to do that, right? Again, yes. They're expected to they not be great this year. They don't need to win year. now. Right. They, they would be a tough look to YOLO Dustin Wolf if you're Calgary. 100%. So... I, I I think I'm hopeful more for Cronin, not that Anaheim will be a good team, but for Cronin's first year as a head coach to be successful in Anaheim, as opposed to Huska in Calgary, where it's... There's a lot of expectation. Yeah. The pressure is on there for sure. The same way it's going to be on Laviolette in New York, but Laviolette's been around the block once or twice. Absolutely. So. And we talked about the, the ways in which both Calgary and New York have a little bit mm -hmm. more to work with mm -hmm. in the immediate. So I think the way we measure success for each of these coaches is going to be very different. Yeah. It, that's, that's the hard part is you're grading on a curve a lot of the time when it comes to <laughs> NHL head coaching. So, you know, obviously we'll see how it plays out when the season comes around. We'll see how their off seasons go too, because that can shape expectations a lot. I do expect a handful more moves to come over the next couple of weeks, and then obviously things will pop off at the draft and free agency, which we will have you fully covered. Are you excited to go out there? I'm really excited because it also marks when things are going to start happening. Yep. Hopefully a little bit before then too, um, but and then hopefully some things happen while we're there. But it, it's exciting for a few reasons, too. Like, I've had some DMs already about what are the Avs going to do this offseason, and they're going to do something, and that kind of marks yep. the time when we can expect to start seeing these changes come in. All right, I'm giving you no context. Team Bonk or Team Melendic? Bonk. Let's go, Team Bonk. I'm here for it. AJ's Team Melendic. So. Oh, wait, I did see this. Yeah. I remember seeing that you liked a guy named Bonk, and yep. I was like, is it the name alone? <laughs> It, it's not nothing. The name does count for a little bit. I'm no, Bonk is fun. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Is he a defenseman? 
He is, yes. All right. What's Melendek? Melendek's also a defensive. Well, that's a little Bonk's hard. More defensive D, Melendek's offensive. Okay, okay. Bonk. Team uh, Bonk. Let's go. Defensive D. We need to replace Drew Hellison. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, I am good, unless you want to add anything else, Megan. I don't think so. All right. I'm sure you'll have a banger tweet about coaches in 15 minutes because that's always what happens. To that me. is always what happens. Go, uh, go buy Denver Nuggets championship merch, merch, merch. I can't even speak. Uh, where's the Smugget shirt? Nuggets I merch. Want, yeah, merch. there you go. That's the one. I want the Denver Smugget shirt. That's the one that I'm gonna get. So we also we're selling a book. So, the, dude, we have so much stuff. Look at this. We got glasses. What? I got, actually was curious about the book. Is it a book of photographs? I'm assuming it's like from the I'm Serbia guessing trip. Guessing went hard. Ooh, yeah. yeah, fair point. I just need a preview of what's inside. Yeah, you don't get one of those, but you can pre-order it. That's uh, awesome. It ships on the 26th. There you go. Uh, go Not check bad. that out. Also, great place to get some Father's Day merch. Not guaranteed to get there by Father's Day anymore, but <laughs> if, you're, if your dad's a basketball fan, that's the place to go. <clears throat> uh, Landis Scott's money is available in season essentially like he'll just be put on permanent LTIR and there are some funky things you have to do in the off season to make that work but essentially it's a free seven million dollars for Colorado but as of right now there is no indication that he will never play again so let's not jump to that conclusion just yet all right we're gonna get out of here we appreciate all y'all hanging out with us for a Tuesday show, Jesse and Megan should be back tomorrow. I'm sure you will talk about something very interesting while I sleep all day. Uh, we appreciate all y'all, and we will talk to you all on the next one.